What does it mean to be refreshed? We might answer the first thing that would come to our mind, you know, a week of vacation is refreshing, or uh, some time at the beach, I know that blesses my heart and refreshes my spirit. Uh, to take a walk in the mountains is a, another incredible refreshing blessing. But unfortunately, that kind of refreshing seems to kind of come and go too quickly. If the scripture talks about another kind of refreshing that is deeper, it is more long-lasting, it's not dependent upon circumstances. The scriptures say that we can be refreshed when we are in a right relationship with our Lord and when we are alignment in His good will. And so I would just ask you to keep that kind of refreshing as our hope, our goal this morning as we read from our scripture passage out of the book of Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 28 says this, Now it shall be, if you diligently obey the Lord your God, being careful to do all his commandments which I command you today, the Lord your God will set you high above all the nations of the earth. All these blessings will come upon you and overtake you if you obey the Lord your God. Blessed shall you be in the city, and blessed you shall be in the country. Blessed shall be the offspring of your body, and the produce of the ground, and the offspring of your beast, the increase of your herd, and the young of your flock. Blessed shall be your basket and your kneading bowl. Blessed shall you be when you come in, and blessed shall you be when you go out. The Lord shall cause your enemies who rise up against you to be defeated before you. They will come out against you one way and will flee before you seven ways. The Lord will command the blessings upon you in your barns and in all that you put your hand to. And he will bless you in the land which the Lord your God gives you. The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself as he swore to you. If you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in his ways. So all the people of the earth will see that you are called by the name of the Lord and they will be afraid of you. The Lord will make you abound in prosperity in the offspring of your body and the offspring of your beast and the produce of your ground and the land which the Lord swore to your fathers to give to you. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain to your land and in its season and to bless all the work of your hand. And you shall lend to many nations, but you shall not borrow. Let us pray. Good and gracious Father, we thank you for the opportunity to come once again into this house which has been dedicated to your worship we pray, Father, that you would cleanse us, that you would forgive us of our sins, of any ways that we have fallen short so that we may draw close to you without fear and that you would draw close to us, that we would know your presence and the goodwill, the good plan that you have for our life. Help us to see and be obedient to your holy word. And help us to live refreshed, joyful lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Two weeks ago, we were interrupted by snow last week, but two weeks ago we began a sermon series entitled Refresh. And the hope is that as we continue in this 
beautiful, wonderful new year that we would live a refreshed, a, a joyful life, a replenished life, and anticipating joy. This is God's desire for his children. You know, I, I just think sometimes we have this attitude in our lives that, that, that joy is something that's just for a, a season, a, a week, a, a part of our life, and then the rest of it is just something to be endured until we can get back to that vacation. But I believe the default setting of our life should be one of being refreshed, of living in peace with each other and, and with God. This is God's will. This is God's desire for his children. I am convinced of this. And in order to be refreshed, do you remember what we talked about two weeks ago? It's been a long time. Do you remember, number one, we said we need to let God be God. We need to understand the things that we can have influence and control over and then let God take care of the rest. Number two, we want to be a friend of God, and that means that we need to spend time with him. We need to walk and talk and share our lives and, and, and share the pain, the grief, the, the joy, the questions, and just be a friend of God. And number three, we need to prayerfully decide, you know, who it is we want to be in 2017, what changes need to be made, and then dedicate our life, our calendar, our cell phone, all of those things to fulfilling that objective. So we continue that theme this week as we look at refreshing our finances. Don't leave. Don't run. Lock the doors. He's going to talk about money. And the strange thing is that, you know, in the church, we have kind of an unusual attitude about someone preaching about finances. Here's the attitude in four words. I wish you wouldn't. It's as if we can talk about anything kind of spiritual in the church, but as long as it doesn't affect really how we live, it should not be so. Rather, the way that leads to blessings and renewal and refreshing and joy is to understand the spiritual principles of the scriptures and then apply them in our lives, especially in those areas where we have a problem. And brothers and sisters, most Americans and many Christians have a big problem with finances. How big is the problem? These statistics were startling to me as I looked at them this last week. What is the average credit card debt in America? $16,061. That's the average debt. Average mortgage, $172,000. Average auto loan, $28,535. Those are some pretty nice cars out there. Here's one that's troubling to me. Average student loan, $49,000. If you have multiple children, that's one big ouch. Average debt, $132,000. And when we have that kind of debt in our lives, it's very hard to live a, a life of rest, a life of peace, anticipating joy, which is what we believe is God's will for our lives. What can we do? First, the refreshed life is one that applies biblical understanding about debt. Do you know what the Bible says about debt? What does the Bible really say? Truthfully, it's kind of a mixed bag. Romans 13:8, for instance, says, Owe nothing 
to anyone except to love one another, for he who loves his neighbor has fulfilled the law. All right, owe nothing. Psalm 37, on the other hand, says the wicked borrows and does not pay back. It kind of implies that borrowing is all right. We just have a commitment. But the righteous is gracious and he gives. And so here and in other scriptures, we see the the biblical principle that says it's not encouraged, it's acceptable to borrow, but it is always a sin not to repay. Other places in the scripture say that we can loan money, but we need to be kind of careful. We kind of need to know what the principles are there. It says, uh, never charge interest that would enslave anyone if you're going to lend money. It says we're not to charge interest to the poor. And we're certainly not to, it says repeatedly, we're not to charge interest to our family if we're going to give them a loan. But, but for me, kind of the key passage that kind of explains this in my mind is Proverbs 22.7. It says this, the rich rules over the poor and the borrower becomes the lender's slave. And the principle to me, it seems that we should not be in perpetual debt that enslaves us to the lender. What does enslavement look like? First, we never go into debt without reasonably having an expectation of repaying. Next, we want to make sure that, understand that that debt can enslave. What was the average credit card debt in America? $16,061. I looked it up this week. The minimum payment for that kind of debt, the minimum payment that's just basically paying the interest is $222 a month. That's a pretty substantial. And if you just pay that minimum, you're going to be paying for it for 20 years until it's paid off. That's if you make no more charges, you just pay. It'll take 20 years to pay it off, and you will have paid at the end $31,000, $15,000 in interest alone. That seems to me is a definition of slavery. The statistics say that one in three American Christians say that it is impossible for them to get ahead to live a life because of the debt that they have incurred. That's slavery. When we don't have the peace, when we're not uh, living a joyful life, when we are worried about that next payment, when we can't sleep, that's a definition of slavery. How do you know that you're enslaved to debt? I would say that if you already are enslaved, you probably already know it. You feel it. The pressure, the anxiety, the lack of peace. If not, the scripture would say to us today to allow the spirit to guide us before that next big credit card, before you buy the next or get the next credit card. And oh my, aren't they easy to get? I was amazed at when my boys went to college, their income was zero and they already were getting, you know, at 18 years old, they were getting credit card applications. Not one, not two, several of them. Sandy, you know, we kind of scrubbed some of the mail. They just kind of slipped those away because there's no way. It's too easy to become enslaved. So we allow the Spirit before that next big purchase. Why does the Scripture so often warn against debt? I think ultimately because debt says that I'm not satisfied with the the provision of God at this point in my life. That's really what it's saying. 
And the only way that I'm going to be satisfied is by getting more stuff as compared to what the Apostle Paul said so beautifully. Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in prosperity. In, in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need, because I can do all things through him who strengthens me. There's the key to joy. There's the key, the key to contentment. There's the, the key to living a refreshed life is living in a close relationship with Jesus. He's the one that's going to give us strength. But debt says this, God, you must have made a mistake because I don't have what it takes to be happy. So I'm going to fix your plan and I'm going to go deeper into debt with one more credit card or one more big purchase. As opposed to being refreshed, knowing that the refreshment comes with a Relationship with Christ. How many of you, just raise your hands. Oh my soul, he's going to embarrass us. No, I wouldn't do that for the world. How many of you at one point in your life have just really looked forward to that next big buy? Oh, it was so exciting. And you just could not wait to get it, even if you had to go into debt. Maybe you didn't, maybe you just saved up, you know. How many of you have, have just anticipated, man, this is going to be so great. I'm just going to love it. It's going to change my life. Then you go ahead and get it, and about two weeks later... Nothing. And you just look at that thing. It's almost insulting. It's like a salt in the wound. I mean, now I just have, anybody ever done that other than me? I, I've certainly done that. There's two people that are honest in the church. The rest of you are fibbing. I remember buying that first iPad. I thought, oh, this iPad, this is going to change my life. You know, I'm going to be cool. I started wearing a scarf, you know, just because I just thought I was, I was so cool. iPad 2, I bought the iPad 2. I thought I was somebody. iPad 3 came out next week. Ah, had to take the scarf off. I wasn't nearly as cool as I thought I was. The point is this, stuff, the accumulation of things is never going to bring us any kind of lasting joy. I look out at you this morning, and, and, and you know we had breakfast with some of our seniors this morning. And the relationship there, that's going to bring us joy. The relationship that we have in each other, the relationship that we have with God, that's going to bring us peace. That's going to bring us refreshment to our soul. First, we need to understand what the Scriptures say about debt. Secondly, if we're going to have a refreshed life, the refreshed life is one that is obedient to God in, in, in relationship to tithes. Lock the doors, nobody move. Because Cal just said the T word, and we don't like the T word. Wait, remember what the goal is now. Remember what the goal is. The goal is to live a life of abundance and joy. To have a, a more lasting and not uh, a joy that's not just dependent upon circumstances. How, how? We can do that by walking in obedience to our Heavenly Father. For instance, listen to our Bible passage once again. Deuteronomy 28, 12, just the one verse. The Lord will open for you his good storehouse, the heavens, to give rain in your land, in your season, and to bless all the work of your hand. And we all want to just say amen and bring on the rain and bring on the blessing. But did you notice this? 
Three times in this passage, there's that little word, just two letters, if. If. If you diligently obey the Lord your God, and if you obey, obey the Lord your God and keep the commandments of the Lord, and if you walk in his ways. The, the promised blessing is conditional upon obedience. Now see, we've got a strange attitude about being obedient to God. It's like, it's probably because we've, we've worked for people that, that, that weren't maybe godly supervisors or whatever, but we have a, a strange attitude about obedience. We think that God has just randomly drawn some line in the sand. He says, don't cross over it, as opposed to understanding that if God has laid it out for us, if he's saying, oh, be obedient to this, it's because he knows us. He's created us. He knows us better than ourselves. He knows everything, and he has a good plan for your life. And so if he's saying, be obedient, walk in this path, what he's saying is, this is going to lead to great joy. This is going to lead to fulfillment in your life. It's not just some, it's not, it's not mom and dad being mean. Remember when you say no to your kids, and they say, oh, you're just being mean. No, it's because we knew we'd walk the path. We knew that it was going to be hurtful. It's the same way with your heavenly father. He simply wants you to be obedient to his good plan. And tithing is a big problem in the church. Did you know that? How many people in the average church tithe? The statistics are kind of all over the place. On the low end, the studies say that about three out of 100 Christians tithe. On the high end, about two out of 10, about 20% will tithe. I'd like to come in you as a church because I don't know who does and who doesn't, but statistically, it kind of looks like about half of the people at Jonesboro Heights tithe, about half. So, so we're well above the average, but what that says to me is that half the people are missing great blessing. So the best scenario is about two in 10 uh, across the board, although the scriptures make it clear that this is a command of God. Malachi 3.8 says, will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? In, in, in tithes and in offerings. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, so that, so that there may be food in my house. And now test me in this, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open for you the windows of heaven and pour out for you a blessing until it overflows, then I will rebuke the devourer so that it will not destroy the fruit of the ground, nor will your vine in the field cast its grape, says the Lord of hosts. There's such a misunderstanding in the church about tithing. Number one, it has nothing to do. The church staff does not get a raise if everybody tithes. It's not, it's not a corporation. We don't run it like that. Secondly, it, we don't tithe or withhold our tithe because you may think that, you know, that we're not using that tithe in an appropriate manner. That, that there are other ways for every, especially in the Baptist church, for everyone to have input on how the tithe is used. We, we look at it. We vote at it. There's nothing that happens that you don't have input in. And, and third, it isn't about, you know, I got my feelings hurt a few years ago, so I won't tithe. But you know what? I have never been in a church. I have never been in a church where I haven't heard somebody say that. 
Tithing isn't about the relationship between you and me or between you and the rest of the church. Tithing is about this one thing. Listen to me. I'm begging you. Listen to me. Tithing is about this one thing, our relationship with God. And it asks one question. Do you trust God enough to provide not only for your needs, but to pour out incredible blessings in your life? Tithing is about faith. Now listen, there may be some here today that have decided for whatever reason that you're going to listen politely, you're going to make eye contact with the pastor, but you're not going to change anything. I'm just begging you to listen. And if there's a need to change, then change, because God is waiting to pour blessings into your life. Now, if, you're the, if this is the first time you've ever been here and you just think I'm a prosperity preacher, no, we preach the entire scripture here. But this is part of it. And there's nowhere else in the Bible where God says this to you. There's, this is the only place in the Bible where God says, test me in this. Test me in this. Everywhere else in the Bible is forbidden. Jesus said to Satan, thou shalt not test the Lord your God. But in Malachi, God speaking through the prophet says, Test me in this and see if I will not pour blessing into your life. Seeing if I will not protect you. See if those tires won't last another 5,000 miles. See if that water heater will last a little bit longer. See if those clothes won't wear out. Because he's saying not only will I pour blessing, but I will protect what you have. And you know what? I'm not ashamed to preach this. This is the word of God for the people of God so that his people might live in joy and refreshment and fulfillment of life. Test me in this. And some, are, some might respond today, you know what? I don't have enough money to tithe. I, I would respond to that. You don't have enough because you are not tithing. And I know that seems wild, I, I, but I tell you this, based upon Scripture and personal experience, our Father says, trust Him and tithe, and He will hold all things together for us. You know what, you know what I always enjoy? When statisticians and scientists come back and confirm something that, that God's already said, and, or they like discover something. They, you know, oh, we just made this great discovery. Well, you didn't discover anything. The Bible's been saying it for thousands of years. Do you know that researchers have discovered that tithers have significantly more financial blessing than non-tithers? Did you know that? We shouldn't be surprised. Researchers compared tithers to non-tithers. They said 80% of tithers have no unpaid credit cards. Can you believe that? Not 16,061. 80% have zero credit card debt. 74% don't owe anything on their cars. 48% own their own homes. 28% are completely, absolutely debt-free. And this should not surprise us because it only affirms the promises of God in his holy scriptures. But, but more importantly, as they are trusting God in that relationship, it's not just about the blessing, not about the abundance, not about the stuff. It's about laying down your head at the end of the day and resting in peace. Walking with God and knowing his joy and his wisdom, his counsel. 
This is God's will for your life. Number one, we need to understand what God's word says about debt. Number two, we need to understand and, and, and act on what he says about tithing. And finally, number three, we need the refresh life is one. We need to understand that it's one that pays it forward. You ever heard that expression? Pay it forward. As far as I know, it comes from a movie that was released in, in 2000. And it was about, it's about a seventh grader who goes to school one day and his teacher challenges him to, to make a plan to change the world. The first day, Trevor and his classmates are challenged with, by his social studies teacher, Mr. Simonette. And, and written on the blackboard, the challenge reads, think of an idea to change our world and then put it into action. While most children kind of disinterested slouch in their desk, Trevor's mesmerized and, and, and by the possibility, can you imagine, of changing the world? The next day, Trevor comes back and he's got an amazing plan to pay it forward. He draws a circle and he explains, that's me. And underneath he draws three other circles. That's, that's three other people. And I, I'm going to help them. But it's got to be something really big. I'm going to help them do something that they can't do for themselves. So I do it for them and they do it for three people. That's nine people. And nine lives turns into 27. And the movie proceeds paying it forward and it changes the life of a rich person and a, a poor person and a homeless person and a prisoner. Pay it forward. It's a wonderful idea. It's just not an original one. Because the Bible teaches us that the refreshed life is one that is generous and giving and provides for the needs of others. In a very real sense, we are called to pay life forward through sowing and reaping. And just listen to the words of Jesus. Give, and it will be given to you. They will pour into your lap a good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over. For by your standard of measure, it will be measured to you in return. I think the principle is this. How is it? How is it that we who have been given so much, we who have been given Jesus Christ, we who have been given great blessings, you may not think you're rich, you may not think you're wealthy, but I'll tell you what, you are so much better off than so many within the shadow of the steeple. Now, we who have been given so much, how is it possible that we could now be miserly? with what we have been given. It's not right. It doesn't make sense. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul writing to the Corinthians and encouraging them to give. He says this, Now this I say, he who sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Do you think that was only for the Corinthians? No. It wouldn't have found its way by the power of the Spirit if it was not written to us today. He who sows sparingly will reap sparingly, and he who sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. Each one must do just as he is purposed in his own heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that always having all sufficiency in everything, you may have abundance for every good deed." Now let's face a fact. This doesn't make any sense, does it? Not by worldly standards. 
It doesn't make any sense. Because by worldly standards, he who hoards the most wins. He who dies with the most toys wins. But Jesus called those people that simply hoard for themselves fool. Jesus, the one who turned the world upside down or perhaps right side up, says give so that you might be blessed. The Proverbs say it clearly as well. Proverbs eleven twenty four. There's one who scatters and yet increases all the more. And then there is one who withholds what is justly due and yet it results in only in want. The generous man will be prosperous and he who waters will himself be watered. Isn't that beautiful? Proverbs nineteen seventeen. One who is gracious to a poor man lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his good deed. How do we live the refreshed life? Why is it that we avoid uh, the slavery to debt? Why is it that we tithe? Why do we pay it forward? To simply feel good about ourselves? No. To receive recognition and honor? No. To serve as Christ served? Of course as a reflection of the faith and the generosity that God has given to me, yes. And to live fulfilled, blessed, and refreshed. This is God's plan for you. Would you pray with me? Good and gracious Father, we thank you for the wisdom of your scriptures. We thank you that through Jesus Christ you have turned the world right side up. We thank you for all the gifts that you have given us. In fact, we acknowledge here today, Father, with great pride in you that everything that is good in our life has come as a gift from you, that you bless beyond our imagination, that you make all things work together and far more important than any physical blessing is that we can have rest and peace and eternal life through you. And we love you and adore you and worship you. Now, Lord, in response to the great gift that you have given, may we likewise return what you require as a sign of our faith. May we live in such a way to know your blessing and to pay it forward. I know this is hard. So Lord, by the power of your Spirit, move in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.